0: Like I said, this is the greatest thing I've seen. I've seen so many people now that are doing so well that are artists that I know are finally making money and getting their due. And I went Mm -hmm. to an NFT meetup the other day and there was a girl, she was 20 years old. She's a photographer, nobody knows her. She has nothing to do. She started getting in NFTs six months ago. She says she's paying her complete rent. She's supporting herself on her NFTs. But what I found was interesting. She says, oh yeah, I carved a little portion of this off for my community center. And I was able to give them two and a half ETH. So think about this. An artist that nobody knows who she is. She's now created a living by building her tribe or her hive around her. And she's also been able to support the community. Imagine giving $10,000 for somebody that doesn't really have the money. Fascinating. And the business models are incredible because an NFT, it's not only about me. It's about how can I empower you to make money together? There's a lot of incentives and a lot of interesting things with these. I love it to death.
1: This episode is sponsored by Nexo.io and Quantstamp.
2: Money is changing. So where do we go from here? Through high-profile interviews and thought-provoking analysis, join Michael Casey and Sheila Warren for the Money Reimagined podcast as they explore the connection between finance, human culture, and our increasingly digital lives. And just a reminder, Coindesk is a news source and does not provide investment advice. And now, here's Michael Casey. Welcome to Money Reimagined. I'm Michael Casey. Risking the wrath of Coindesk's copy editors, I am today pronouncing my own journalistic edict. I want to start using the letters NFT in first reference. I no longer see a need to start with the longer form non-fungible token followed by the acronym in parentheses. I'm just going straight to the acronym. Why? Because in a short period of time, the three-letter sequence has become so infused into popular discourse that it seems redundant to explain it. Since so few people still fully understand what a non-fungible token actually is, and yet everyone seems to have an opinion on NFTs, I figure we should dispense with the former and solely use the latter. The discussion around NFTs is all-encompassing right now. It is also exhaustingly divisive. Some see them as the answer to all that's wrong with the Web2 media economy a means to cut out the gatekeepers of the arts and entertainment economy, and to empower creators via direct engagement with their audiences. Others seem convinced that NFTs embody the worst of humanity, an instrument of greed, fraud, and environmental destruction. I'm not going to go into where I stand on this, but feel free to read today's Money Reimagined newsletter for my own rant, I mean essay, on what both sides get wrong on this topic. Ethan Janney, a co-host of the popular podcast, Edge of NFT and one of our two great guests for today's episode is steeped in this swirling, emotional, Baroque conversation. Next month, I'll have the pleasure of speaking at a conference that Ethan and his colleagues are putting on in a city that in some respects is the natural heartland of NFTs, Los Angeles. One key driver pushing NFTs into public consciousness comes from the interest in them that's now coming from many big name studios, actors, musicians, and celebrities who have an LA zip code as home base. In contrast to the fringe ethos historically associated with Bitcoin, NFTs enjoy the support of everyone from Warner Brothers to Snoop Dogg to Reese Witherspoon. To discuss why LA matters to this movement and what the technology means for creators and the entertainment business with which that city is synonymous, we're pairing Ethan with an LA native who has been at the cutting edge of artistic innovation and new entertainment business models for years. The first line in Scott Page's Wikipedia page says he is known for his saxophone and rhythm guitar work with Pink Floyd, Supertramp, and Toto. That's not untrue, but Scott is much more than that—a rare blend of artist, technologist, and entrepreneur, with the capacity to say something interesting about pretty much anything. If you want a snapshot into Scott's creative mind, check out videos of Think Exp, the supergroup he pulled together with musicians from bands such as Jane's Addiction, Fishbone, and Aerosmith. To put on a show called Beyond the Wall, a mind-blowing immersive art and music experience in LA's wisdom. I've known Scott for a few years now. It was no surprise to me to learn that he is now all in on NFTs. Before we get to Ethan and Scott, let's just say hello to my co-host Sheila Warren. Hi, Sheila. Hey, Michael. We started talking about NFTs probably about a year ago, I think. Yeah, um, that's
3: right. We had none of And
2: on you know, it's happening. Yeah. And it was happening. And we were felt like we were at the edge of something happening. And, but now (laughs) it's like, it's the only thing we can talk about. It's just so all encompassing, I feel.
3: It's like the MTV of the day, right? Like everybody, to your point, everyone knows the acronym. They think they know exactly what it is and the business model behind it and all of that. But it's not really clear. Is this really for the artists? Is it really for investors? Uh, What are the goals? What are the challenges? How do they differ? So I take your point. I, I am here with you. I support you in this new stance we're taking here at Money Reimagined. NFT all the way, non-fungible <laughs> token. <all> the way.
2: <laughs> Some people say that like no one really understands money and that, that if we did understand it, it wouldn't work. If you just debate NFTs too much, you like kill the magic out of them. Like It almost has to be just encapsulated as, as that, that acronym. It's an NFT and we all kind of think we know what it is and we're all kind of engaged in a kind of a conversation about it. But we don't really know, but anyway, we'll, we'll get there. It'll, it'll be something in the middle a little, that'll resolve on all these sorts of issues. So why don't we bring our guests in? They're the ones we really want to hear from here. Ethan, Scott, welcome to Money
0: Reimagined. Welcome. Hey, thanks, Michael. Thank you very much for having me. I'm really happy now. on with my brother, Ethan, over there because we're, we're working on NFTLA together. So this is a wonderful day.
2: Thank you. Yeah, it is a pleasure to be here, Michael. It's, it's great to have you guys. And if Scott calls you a brother, then I know that, that yeah. you're in. So
0: <laughs> thanks for that wonderful intro. <laughs> you, you, you're most
2: welcome. You deserve it, man. You deserve it. So Ethan, why don't we just step to you first? You heard what we talking about here, this sort of this moment of public consciousness, this sort of lack of understanding. But I mean, what is going on? <laughs> what, can you give me sort of, I suppose, a short answer? Because it is a complicated answer, I'm sure. But what do you see as the sort of the big driver of this moment
4: right now that NFTs seem to be in? It's a great question, and I think, you know, Scott is actually someone who reinforces this idea for me because he's been through so many tech revolutions, literally hanging out with him a, a little bit back in Miami. You know, he said, this just really has that echo, you know, of, of Web2 revolutions or just the Internet, you know, coming on the scene and, you know, people being like, I don't know, do I really need a website? Yeah, oh, you got to have a website, right? And uh, it, it's a similar conversation that people find themselves in talking about, is it something tangible or real that's kind of worth pursuing? Yet, uh, you know, behind the scenes to the public and and among the circles that Scott and I kind of hang out with, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody just understands that it's just the next wave of what technology is. And some reasons that it's exciting are a continuation of the reasons that, you know, the internet and, and web too have been exciting. There's been a movement to try to put more power in the hands of individuals and creators. I think we're moving closer and closer to this vision of a creator economy. And and also like this sort of ownership that as we kind of face this reality that robots are going to take all our jobs, (laughs) we have (laughs) to do things that highlight what are powerful about us as humans and that's, you know, creativity and pushing the envelope as to imagination. And NFTs and Web3 are really underlying the empowerment behind what's possible there.
2: So Scott, mm-hmm. why don't we just bring it to you? And I think, yeah, you know,
0: I, I'm just going to tell you to me, yeah. you know, when the more I think about NFTs, and it took a while, right? I mean, this is not something you just grasp in the minute. I remember the night I woke up and my, I was laying in bed and I sat up in my bed and I went, holy cow, this is the biggest thing that I've seen in my, in my lifetime, I think, as far as being able to putting it back in front of the people, NFTs represent freedom to me. They represent freedom in a sense from an old system. And we're seeing that system completely kind of collapsing in a lot of ways around us right now, all the way through the central banks and cryptocurrency and everything. But what people need to understand about NFTs is the power of them is really the fact that they're programmable, they're experiences, you know, everything is going to get NFT. I'm just going to tell you every hair salon, clothing store, restaurant, bar, I don't care. We're going to be interacting with those things everywhere because it allows us to have a kind of a really total direct to consumer business model like we've never seen because now it's wallet to wallet. And it's all about building your community and your hive and, and owning that audience. And so, you know, NFTs, when you start to really grasp what they can do it's truly mind-boggling. And I see this as probably the biggest revolution. Now, we do know that there's a lot of issues with this yet. We're still at the Wild West. This is not like simple. We're all, everybody's talking about the Web 3 decentralized web. I think we're going to be Web 2.5 for a while. It's going to take some time for this idea of completely decentralization and that, that whole idea. First, I feel like I'm a kid. I'm 30 years old again in a space where I've never been as excited as since I went through the CD-ROM space back in the day. And that's where I got to be very inventive. Uh, my, one of my favorite claims to fame is I basically co-produced and directed the world's first interactive cartoon back in the early 90s, like 1991, 92. And then internet world came along, but this one really is power to the people and puts the control back in the people. And if you think about NFTs, they're also... Basically, a form of currency. It's crypto, it's currency. So, I think it's going to really drive the crypto market even further because people can understand how to deal with a, an asset much easier than necessarily learning about Bitcoin and things. And in some ways, you know, it was interesting. I started thinking about Bitcoin and I started going, actually, NFTs, there's a case to be made that they're going to be more valuable than a coin because of the utility that's built into them this utility could have a lot more value than the actual value of the actual coin. So I'm very excited, very optimistic. And like I said, this is the greatest thing I've seen. I've seen so many people now that are doing so well that are artists that I know are finally making money and getting their due and, and, you know, real quick story and then I'll jump off. I went Mm -hmm. to an NFT meetup the other day and there was a girl, she was 20 years old. She's a photographer, nobody knows her. She has nothing to do. She started getting in NFTs six months ago. She says she's paying her complete rent. She's supporting herself on her NFTs. But what I found was interesting. She says, oh, yeah, I carved a little portion of this off for my community center. And I was able to give them two and a half ETH. So think about this. An artist that nobody knows who she is. She's now created a living by building her tribe or her hive around her. And she's also been able to support the community. Imagine giving $10,000 for somebody that doesn't really have the money. Fascinating. And the business models are incredible because an NFT, it's not only about me, it's about how can I empower you to make money together. There's a lot of incentives and a lot of interesting things with these. I love it to death.
5: Nexo is a trusted and easy to use crypto platform where you can buy cryptocurrencies at the touch of a button and start earning up to 18% annual interest that is paid out daily. They support all of the major assets on the market and even allow you to swap one asset for another or borrow cash against your crypto without selling it. Nearly 3 million people in over 200 countries trust Nexo with their digital assets. So whether you're just getting started or you're a seasoned pro, get the most of your crypto today with Nexo at Nexo.io. Quantstamp is looking for talented people to join our team and help us secure the blockchain industry. Our clients include major blockchain projects like Ethereum 2.0, DeFi projects like Maker, Compound, and Aave, and global enterprises like Toyota. As a fully remote team, working for Quantstamp means a great work-life balance, an environment that values creativity and effectiveness, and compensation packages on par with big tech. Come work for the leading blockchain security company, Learn more at quantstamp.com careers.
1: If you would like to attend NFTLA this March 28th through the 31st, go to nftla.live and receive 10% off when you use the promo code Money Reimagined 10 la
3: so I definitely hear the enthusiasm,
0: right? It's Isn't all it? I do every day, every day, 724. <laughs> Hype right?
3: person for NFTs. I love it, Scott. There's a lot of criticism of these NFTs though, too, as well, oh, yeah. right? So there are a lot of people hearkening this and saying, look, this is, how is this not just like the ICOs of, of you know, years gone by, which are not that long ago? Isn't there a bubble here that's going to burst, you know, et cetera. So that's one criticism. I'd love to hear mm-hmm. you to address what your thoughts are on that. But the other one I think goes back to Scott, what you're talking about with brands. So from the very beginning, I think Michael and I both have said this early episodes on, like, once brands pick this up, it's going to really start taking off. Yeah. But how do you distinguish the the brand thing from the creator thing? So it's not the same thing. And you're going to have a lot of brands, companies that are still owning rights over NFTs of creators. Maybe that's what happens in sports right now. We're seeing top shots and things like that, but what's to stop any sort of big brand from creating an ad campaign, using an NFT of someone's likeness and the same problems come in. So What about these makes you so optimistic that over time they're going to continue to be about creator empowerment and not just become about corporate or other greed?
0: To me, it again is it's a being able to empower other people. It's the business model that really works for me because this is a time it's like, you know, people ask me about Bored Apes. I go, how can a Bored Ape be worth so much money, $218,000 for this little gift, right? And I try to explain to them that it's like, there's 10,000 of those. When you buy that, you get the rights to that. I know four Board Ape guys now that are creating a television show. They're creating clothing lines. There's all these people taking this brand. I try to explain it to them. It's like Nike. If Nike was able to say, give me 10,000 swooshes, a red one, a blue one, a green one, ones with diamonds and stars. And I had that one. Once I had that, I have the rights. If, if I have those rights, I can go create anything I want. I could start a new tennis shoe line. I could use that brand. And it's kind of this community powered brand situation this is the wild west. The brands are going to get in, the the creators are going to get in, but it really puts the power back in the creator to basically start being able to build businesses on this. I mean, I know people that are creating, using NFTs to start businesses, to create projects before they're even doing it. One of the groups, uh, my friends out of Frogland, they went and raised $4 million in 12 hours where they couldn't get funding anywhere to build out their metaverse, and they were able to build it out on their own. So you know, you're going to have the brands are going to come in, everybody's going to come in like it is, but this really is for those creative people to create experiences because experiences are not going to go away. And that's what these yeah. represent, the programmability, the experience tied to these. And I believe, you know, like even NFT ticketing is like going to be one of the great spaces to be in because it's that pointy end of the spear. It's also going to be the place that's going to bring more people into this world through the NFT ticketing. But everybody's going to play in this game. I I don't even know how to answer what you're saying, because yes, to what you said, those things are going to be there. But yes, new people are going to innovate and come up with new ways to make this all work. It's important to remember that NFTs are not any specific
4: NFT. So like if the zeitgeist now, people think of NFTs, they think of like Bored Apes or something like that, or, or maybe something specific. You know, I think about it, and I'm sure Scott thinks about it. It's like the printing press. Okay, it's just a new form of technology that offers all sorts of different modalities. Once I can print an entire book and I can distribute it, now there's all sort of creative things I can do with that. It's not just people who have the capacity to get a book transcribed by monks or something like this. Right now, <laughs> it spreads around a technology for more people to access it. So that's one thing to remember about NFTs, that it's just a technology and it's really about how we're going to leverage it. And there's so many things that have yeah. been unleveraged so far. And that actually kind of starts to answer the question about the ICO boom and even the IPO boom and the the dot-com boom and all this stuff. Of course, when a new technology arises, it offers all of this extreme value to our economy. And so a lot of people are going to have an opportunity to come in there and jump in and capitalize upon that value. But an, an initial excitement around that can, you know, cause these sort of booms right around it, but doesn't mean there's no substance there. You know, you look at companies like Google or Amazon that came out of the the dot-com boom, they fully took advantage of that boom in sort of interest and funding and, and applying our our resources as a community to that, but then we're able to actually build upon what was actually essentially there. And as far as the big brands go, what I think is interesting here again is that It's at least for now, and maybe it's kind of similar to internet and web too, there's an open playing field for everyone. And the big brands are sort of behind a little bit, right? So who knows how long that lasts, right? Maybe you're right. Maybe they jump in and they start grabbing and capitalizing upon everything. But the truth of the matter is right now, smart people are taking advantage of the open playing field to sort of get ahead if they're behind.
3: So I think that uh, you've distinguished you know, the, the technology and this form factor from the models, which it sounds like are really what you two are most excited about. I agree. I do think that these models, there certainly is the potential and we're seeing some actualization of new models, but maybe it'd be helpful to break down for our listeners. How does this differ from, so I think it's widely realized that you know YouTube it was the most currently creator-friendly platform, kind of Web2 platform uh, prior to the uh, onslaught, let's say, of NFTs. How does this differ from a YouTube model or from a Spotify model, which is, I think, again, pretty widely known to be less creator friendly. And what is the difference here in terms of modeling? Like, let's just kind of walk through that at a, at a high level.
4: Well, the hope here is to bring in this sort of decentralized ethos to things. And so I've heard the kind of joking, I actually ran into a guy who had some trademark around the meta brand, right? Like he actually owns meta in, in some capacity for some type of brand, a website, or whatever. And he was kind of joking around about, You know this idea that facebook is going to come in and name their company meta right to capitalize on this revolution and it's almost like but the revolution is decentralized (laughs) so they're going to just sort of jump in and steal this copyright right just by brute force and so a lot of this stuff doesn't necessarily make sense i don't know whether it's going to work if we can't keep some of this decentralized ethos ingrained in things and you know we just had yield guild games a recording on our podcast just yesterday, actually, that'll come out in a week or two. Again, it's an example of where decentralization is really working and it's super exciting because what they're doing is they're taking these play to earn gaming situations and they're offering scholarships and access to people in third world countries to play a game, to earn more than they can earn in their local economy and become a part of the global economy through the metaverse and through gaming, right? And through NFTs and Web3. And this stuff just was not possible before this. It's going to continue to be opportunities here.
3: Well, so it sounds like we know who to blame for summoning the kraken of uh, the meta name. <laughs> <So> that guy. I don't think he did that. Scott, there's one thing that you said that I want to get into a bit more, which is you used a key phrase. You said, if you have the rights, then you can do X, Y, and Z. So right. how do we ascertain who has rights and what does that Mean. I know there are some companies. Michael and I have a friend who's working on something called Streambed. There are others looking at this kind of rights assignment. Got no Streambed
2: well too, Scott. You do know. Yeah,
3: Streambed. we
0: know all about Streambed. <laughs> yeah, you
3: know. In general, how do we how do you make sure that that's the case and that there isn't a lot of plagiarism or you know false ownership that's going to be kind of costly to settle through litigation or whatever it might be?
0: We already know. I mean, I've seen some of the things that just came out the last day. of there's You know, so much fraud because it's easy for somebody to say, Hey, I'm gonna grab this piece IP, I turn it into an NFT on open C, and now it's supposed to be the original. So the the thing that that this NFT's promise to protect is actually getting exploited now in a way that's not good, right? Again, for me, it's it comes down to it is the business model of what it could be over time. And I think that's where people are gonna be interested, is because again, it really comes down to the yeah, you're talking about rights. All right, so. Old rights that were already held, all the contract law, all of those things, those things are going to still be problematic. Lawyers are going to have more fun than they've ever had in their entire life now because there's just so many opportunities for legal issues and stuff. But if you think about the people that are creating from scratch, that are starting to build, this is where it gets very interesting because I think of NFTs as, as like, you know, I tell everybody you should NFT everything because it's like the source publishing and then, then the derivative works out of that so that you can manage it all. Again, I'm more interested in personally in the, the creative things that I can do now without anybody being involved. And I love that fact is I can be very creative because once you start thinking about NFTs, the real thing about it is, is the experience and the tokenomics, right? I spend a lot of time thinking about the tokenomics and what that can be because that has that, that, that to me, it's about these are experiences. And if I can bundle an experience, I can get paid for that experience. And the thing that I truly love about it too is just the fact that I'm seeing people create projects and they're thinking about the person that's going to get the project and how they can rise with that project at the same time and actually make money. And so this is it's a very interesting thing and if we also realize if the metaverse if we believe this is going to happen NFTs is what controls the economy inside the metaverse, right? It is the thing that allows us to buy and sell objects in a virtual world and have some value. So Rights are going to always be issues, especially if you're dealing with stuff that was out there before, and especially people stealing rights. I mean, this is crazy wild west when it comes to mm-hmm. rights. I'm all about what can I do to make stuff new and uh, exciting in this space.
2: So, I have lots of thoughts about this stuff because it is a little close to home. Full disclosure, of course, I am still the chairman of StreamBed. I founded that company with Jenna Pilgrim before I joined Coindesk, and I'm no longer actively involved. So, we're Jenna. If you refer to this as the greatest, art heist in history. And, and she's alluding to the stuff that you're talking about, Scott, like the number of people who've just ripped off images from even art and are now selling them these ridiculous prices. It's a huge issue. And, and I think that Streambed is working on something that is going to be sort of revolutionary and, and helpful here. The way I like to come at this is to think about it. FTs are just one piece of the puzzle. We talked about this idea that like the thing within the economy that allows us to identify the digital objects that we can go there. So it's almost like the identification process, but they're not the rights. The rights have to be attached to the media itself, the actual art, and how we tie those things together is is what's going on here and part of what Streambed and others are working on. What I like to think of this as the building blocks for property rights in the digital age, and the reason why I think that matters is because if we go back in history, all these moments through history where property rights have been asserted or created out of what when they didn't exist or they've been expanded is probably the most important point. You have these huge economic moments of generally of growth and boom. And it goes right back to the Magna Carta when the noblemen were like getting the king to recognize that they had rights to land and certain rights that didn't were not being recognized. And then the the creation of the stock limited company concept out of the Netherlands that then led to a boom in the formation of capital and stock markets and Deng Xiaoping then handing off property rights to Chinese homeowners. And every one of these moments saw these huge booms. We didn't have digital rights of any sort, because we couldn't identify the scarce object. So that is the first phase in this. We've got to get this thing done. But the other thing I would say, somebody who I think is really worth thinking about in this is Hernando de Soto, the, the famous Peruvian economist who's done a lot of work around how important the definition of rights and property, and then the sort of like formation of a legal structure around that are to the resolution of things like poverty. And the point that he makes and others would make is if you don't figure out the right legal framework and rules, just the existence of those rights or some pro- property right framework doesn't guarantee that you're going to have this great decentralized, equitable thing we're thinking about, right? There are plenty of countries, I used to live in Argentina, where when the Spanish arrived, they just basically destroyed the land and gave huge tracts of land to the generals who had destroyed the Native American communities there. And they was left with a, a very, very inequitable land ownership across Argentina, which I argue actually contributes massively to that country's problems. Whereas my own country, Australia, had much smaller lots, right? So this is just a huge topic for me. So <laughs> apologize for going long on it. What do we need to do? What do we need to do as a society? The metaverse could be seen as a big kind of like Argentine land grab, for all we know. I mean, maybe not because it's infinitely large. But the bottom line is... I don't think it's enough just to say, we've got these NFTs now, it's going to be wonderfully equitable. Like We need to think about the rights connection, the legal component, the social conversation. What do we need to do collectively is my question to both of you to ensure that these more positive social impact ideals that we all are interested in actually come to bear.
0: That's a. Big question, bro. <laughs> that's,
2: a- well, that's, why, that's why I got you on the show, Scott, because yeah, I knew yeah. you wouldn't shy away from it. Yeah,
0: I can answer that. I have the answer. No problem. That. That's an easy one, man. I certainly uh, have comments. Wow. Yeah. I think, you know, it's just, we're just getting forced into having to answer these questions. Like it's like getting thrown into the swimming pool. I don't think anybody has those answers at this point. You know, we've got to just work through it as they come up. So like I said, I think the legal issues, the lawyers, they're going to be in heyday right now because there's so much craziness going on with this. But the fundamental concept is what I'm I'm believing in. And I just think that once this is out of the bag, people aren't going to want to go back because it just it, it allows you to basically really have control over what you make and sell and how you communicate and the experiences and what you do, because you know, today I try to explain to artists, I say, you know, I say, well, you can't sell your music anywhere, anyplace now, right? Where are you going to sell your music? And the streaming business is the worst business in the world for most 98% of the creative community in that space. And it's, you know, and that's all owned by the labels and the big people, all the main corporations, and they control the playlist. So this is, like I said, this is big like freedom from that entire system. And it's like, I was just talking to a guy the other day, Big label came to him. He has his hit song and everything. They came after him, tried to get him. He said, no way. He's just doing it direct now because I think we're moving into the real direct to consumer model. We've been hearing about that for a long time. But NFTs, from my point of view, just the concept of what they do forces us into that, uh, gives us that opportunity to really create that kind of business. I don't know what to answer on your question there, (laughs) uh, to be honest, because I think it's it's so big. It's so misunderstood yet. And you know that's a really tough question. I mean, how do we insure? We, I, don't think, I think we ensure it by just the more people getting on the bandwagon. Because mm. I, you know, for me, it's like looking at the, the Western central banks and the whole fiat currency situation that's going on right now. And mm. you can see they hate crypto. They yeah. hate this idea of a decentralized, a place where they can't control the monetary system. And they're rushing as fast as they can to try to put us onto this other system. But the people are now sitting over here. and I equate Bitcoin as like a big sponge in the sea of fiat, just <laughs> sucking fiat currency and saying, I'm <laughs> going to move it over here. And I think when you're seeing all the things that are going on globally, I've never seen an uprising like this in my entire life. I mean, people are standing up like we've never seen before. I think NFTs help drive people into this crypto community, this crypto world. And the thing about that I find so fascinating about this is the community aspect of this is just incredible. Because what happens is when people buy an NFT, they're buying into the, what I would say, the rally cry of where the NFT is going to go. What does it mean? What is this going to be over the future? And they get in, they get this community stuff going on. And what's interesting is once they buy that NFT, if I send them an email or I send them a text, they communicate right back which is crazy because everybody's bought into the community and this is a community game. So, you know, I look at the metaverse and I go, Oh my God, it's kind of scary. I mean, that's probably one of the darkest places that I've ever seen. You know, let's face it. AI is taking over. I kind of believe humans are designing themselves out right now. I always joke about NFTs. It's like the robots saying, Hey, bring all your physical stuff into our world. So we'll have it when you're gone right? We'll be able to remember what humans did back in the day, and we'll have 3D versions of it. You know, for me, I'm working on a project that I'm putting in the metaverse now, which is kind of really, consciousness is my favorite subject. I'm doing a very bringing consciousness into the metaverse, because I think we need something to offset what's about to come down with- the robots. Okay, the robots, because it's really easy. You can see what's happening, you know, Hmm. whoever owns the algorithms wins. We're seeing that right now in just in a society, how they've been able to divide us up by feeding us 24-7. So you seven prefer
3: human intelligence over machine intelligence. Well. Yeah, so,
0: you know, this is a very, it's, I don't know how it's going to turn out. All I know I mean, is I, we, as a community, we need to try to figure out how to bring light and positivity into this space.
4: I'd love to say, share a few thoughts on that, Michael, what you said. I love all of that historical context that you dropped. Yeah. Really incredible information to just reflect on and appreciate you having that knowledge to share with us all. One of the interesting things here, I've lived in Peru as well. I've lived in Latin America where property rights have been, you know, it's getting better, but have been a little bit difficult, things like that. I think one of the incredible potentials here with blockchain is at least uh, providing infrastructure to uh, communities that don't already have it through their government. And I don't know whether that's going to happen or not, but I see a potential echo in what happened with cell phone technology. You know, now all of a sudden, I've got members on my team in Africa because they have access to the internet and a cell phone and they're earning money and they're part of the economy. And they didn't have to have all of the infrastructure that we have in these communities that created the cell phone. They just needed the cell phone. And I think it's interesting when you're able to put things on the blockchain um, because then you're kind of creating sort of an automated infrastructure that the local governments don't necessarily have to handle, but there can be more enforcement around. So that's a hope that that can be part of answering that problem. And, you know, you ask, what can we do about it? Again, big, big ups to Medha Parla Cars of Casper Labs, you know, big ups to the people who are doing like very technical, you know, they're not just selling board apes and get having fun and goofing around, which is fun stuff in building these communities. There's a lot of technical stuff that's happening behind the scene that doesn't get a lot of press that is going to underlie the ability to have this decentralized checking around property ownership. And again, like I said, on Edge of NFT podcast, we had Yield Guild Games. Look at them. They're doing some really cool stuff to build a, an organization that has a DAO structure, which can support the building of these communities and the rights within these communities that might not already have that access.
3: So I'll just chime in and say, you know, I've been very heartened to see how much empowerment's happened in the Black creator community, whether, you know, it's Micah Johnson, Letavo mm-hmm. Kuma. We had uh, Latavo and uh, Kai Sheffield on an early episode of the pod, Michael, I think like one of our early mm-hmm. episodes, you know, back then just kind of to see how Black culture really seized on this as an opportunity to divorce themselves from some of these platforms and to be able to basically be empowered as a, as a community. Uh, but I, I want to draw a distinction though, Scott, to something I think you kind of liken NFTs to Bitcoin a bit, and then there's a difference there. So I, I certainly am old enough to remember the Napster frenzy. And I do think that part of what has to shift is cultural expectation around art. There is people feel entitled to art, free art, uh, in a way they don't feel entitled to money. And that is a cultural norm uh, that I find appalling, frankly, and, and really offensive. I've always felt that we grossly undercompensate most artists. I think we can all oh, yeah. agree with that and musicians and others. Uh, And a lot of these, you know, Web2 oriented platforms have just similarly contributed to exploitation in these spaces. Nevertheless, the fact that people flocked to Napster knowing full well what it was, it was Mm -hmm. stealing music, you know, and people had zero hesitation about doing that until the thing got shut down by not because people didn't want to use it. It was certainly not, was not a demand side problem. So how do we think about changing that? And one of the things I think it can be interesting is people are willing to pay for something new. So I think that we're going to see distinctions in the ways that artists start, musicians, you know, others. I think the audio part of this is not really understood. People still think of NFTs as being about visual art, whether that's dynamic visual art, whether it's uh, generative art, but nevertheless, about about visual, a visual experience rather than an audio experience, right? Auditory experience. That is shifting slowly, which I think is exactly right. I've joked on the show before the minute Bollywood and Korean pop, you know, gets hold of this, like, you know, it's just going to absolutely go off the rails, bananas, wild although you're then going to get cultural norms around piracy that are different in different parts of the world as well, right? So all that is to say, how do you see this impacting the novel collaborations that artists can engage in, whether that's across artistic boundary, whether it's, you know, visual artists collaborating with musicians or others, you know, walk us through a little bit of that and how that might contribute to maybe resetting our expectations as members of society around what we ought to be doing to support artists and musicians uh, to make sure that they are able to pay their bills, you know, make money, grow wealth, and all of these things that are so important to us being able to sustain uh, the arts and culture that I think are going to be even more and more critical to our very functioning as time
0: goes on. The one thing you can't really change, we have the human condition, right? And that human condition is one of the things that we're battling with right now. We're watching, I mean, if you look at society in general, how we've kind of divided, there's this kind of, Dark and light side. This is almost like a a spiritual war that's going on right now between these people and it all tied to human condition and then who's controlling those algorithms or kind of controlling the people. So we're there. I think the mashup of moving you know audio and visuals together. I actually read an article the other day. One of the biggest, biggest money-making things right now, or at least I saw it, was music-related NFTs are doing really well. And I know a lot of people mashing those together right now. Because again, it's a, it's an experience and something that you can own. So I think you know it's the collaborative space is really what's exciting about this about NFTs. Everybody's collaborating. I mean, it's like the most collaborating group of people I've ever met. Everybody wants to help everybody. It's kind of lifting all boats. It's even with my company, Think NFT. What we're doing is it's all about bringing people in and saying, how can I help you to lift you up, and how can I you help me to lift you up? And so I think you're going to see again a lot more of this collaboration between musicians and visual artists. There's a company right now called uh, Nifty Tunes, which is doing a very interesting thing. they built a beautiful player that allows for loops to happen. And he b- basically uh, put, brought together the best loop guys on the planet, and then they mashed these visual guys together. And so now you can create these loops and visuals at the same time, and then I can go jam over the top of it collaborative, and then I can mint that NFT right there. So we can create things together. And I think that's really where the opportunity is, is how do I create an experience of matching music, matching art, matching physical live experiences? Because that's my whole thing is this Mm -hmm. physical plus virtual kind of happening at the same time. So all the things I'm doing are live events, but they're tied to things that are dealing with visuals and live minting and live art and stuff to create the experience. And then it's really, if you really think about it, NFTs, it's all about the story if you don't have the right story, forget it. It's it, it, You People are putting out these generative things because now they got tools. Hey, start your own NFT collection. You know, get this app and you go, boom. And all of a sudden you got, you know, 10,000 bored apes and it's stuff. And they put it out there and they die because there's no story. There's no rally cry. There's no reason for people to grab onto it. So it's all about the story. And I think the collaborative opportunity to mash artists and stuff like I'm working right now with, Uh, Arthur J. Williams, who's this incredible artist, and we're mashing our live stuff. I'm doing my my Floyd experience is coming out, which is a kind of a twisted way, but I'm not doing it like everybody else. This isn't about a documentary or all of that stuff. It's my experience and my art that I'm mashing together with another artist to create new, unique pieces of works. So I think that's really going to be where it gets exciting is mashing the different folks together. I grew up
3: as part of the MTV generation, right? Like I remember watching a lot of music videos and a lot of folks a little younger than me, that wasn't really part of their musical experience. Like it was very much like maybe you were on YouTube, but you were usually like maybe you were watching an artist perform it and they were acoustic and that was exciting and you felt like part of their journey. But the video thing wasn't quite the same take. And then Lemonade came out and people were like, oh, I remember that being mind blowing for younger people on my team, like. Whoa! You can create this like visual experience, and it's an album, and it's got these elements, and it works together. There's poetry and all this, and I was like, "Yeah, exactly, right." That's exactly what we're talking about. So I think it is just such an important point that these this collaboration that we're going to bring back. I think the visual, the aesthetic experience. I know a lot of artists lament that albums are kind of are less of a thing now, unless you're like a super headliner, single name kind of artist. People don't understand that the album you put together, the order, the timing between tracks, like the way it flows together is so powerful. Just something that anybody growing up in like the 90s, you know, understood because you were maybe you're putting something, it was your CD, you're shoving it in. All of that was really fluid. You often did it, you know, in order. You understood that there was a narrative being constructed. A lot of that's lost. So my hope is that we're gonna see a little bit more awareness, newer generations around the importance of combining and these kinds of mashups and what these can look like. The other thing that happened recently was in Tyler, the creator at the AMAs, I'd heard Massa a million times, but seeing that performance was just, I mean, it hasn't left me so powerful with mm. the snow. I won't give it away, but you know, <laughs> all these things I think are experiences that I hope will be able to be brought more back into front top of mind awareness of folks.
4: I made an important point about compensation of artists and value of their talent. I mean, one thing I see a lot, it's like unfortunate, fortunate is that, you know, some people jump out there they're a great artists and they think they're going to launch an NFT project and finally capitalize on everything that they've done. And, you know, a lot of times you need a team for this stuff to be honest. This, this echoes what we're talking. You know, you need like a marketing person, you need somebody to collaborate with. There's positives and negatives to that. You know, actually Nicole Buffett and I just had this conversation the other day. She's a collaborator with us on our spiritseeds.xyz NFT project. That actually gives a VIP pass to the NFTLA convention for having um, that spirit seed. But it's kind of like around this very thing that we're having this topic. Do we have to add all this utility to art in order for people to value it? Can an artist just sure. you know, dedicate their life to making something beautiful and be valued on it? You know, she and I were very much looking forward to capacities in which that can fulfill that dream for people who are just obsessed with creating beautiful things. And that's important too.
0: Really happy you brought that up, and hopefully we we solve that problem as well. I'm I'm a big fan of the thousand true fan model that basically happened years ago, right? And I think that's what we're seeing right now. I always say if you want to survive, you got to build a hive. I mean that's where we're at right now. It's about that community around it. And what's so interesting about this? It doesn't take that many people to build something that can be a business. So I'm sure there's going to be fine art communities that people are just going to buy fine art. That's going to be its own community. And because of those people that are connected into that and the direct-to-consumer model, cutting out all the middlemen. So there's a very valuable piece for those people. So it's really, to me, it's about this, this community. And I, I explain, there's a friend of mine that's a, she's a singer, she was on the Warp Tour. She says to me, she says, I have about 125 people that support me and it pays all my rent and pays everything. Just this 125 people. So I believe it's all about going small, building a repeatable process around a small group of people and kind of growing that. But it is, again, the story. What is, why are people going a rally cry? Because for me, it's about it to create a commercial movement, I have to create a rally cry. What is that rally cry? Why should I care about what you're doing, right? So I think artists today have to think differently about their art because it's like, oh, hey, I sold my NFT. Well, then what? Mm. Right? You have to think of the then what before you sell your NFT. Because then you say, I sold my NFT and I got my then what, but then what? right? So you've got, my believe you got to have like three then what's in place when you're going to start to go sell these things. Because the communities I've been going into, I've been hanging out now on all these spaces and kind of learning from them. And what I'm finding is every one of the big, the projects that rock, they always have somebody at the spearhead of the community that knows how to talk, that has the voice, that's creating the value, the whiffem. I always say, what's the WIFM? What's in it for me? We have to think about the other person when we're making stuff in this model for, for most. Now, again, that's not saying the artist, the true artist, the guy who gets paints up there, but I think there'll be a community for that in general. Yeah.
2: yeah. No, I, I love this sort of stuff about the storytelling as a journalist who's made my life basically telling stories. And so mm-hmm. totally buy into it. Got to be able to get something meaningful to what this is all about. It's got to resonate with people, all that sort of stuff. So it's important to sort of bring that home to folks. And I think one of the, this is one of the things that's really compelling about NFTs is that it does draw attention to the artist. It starts to say, this is what they are doing, not what their employer is doing or, you know, whoever's buying for them. There's a certain, even the conversation about ownership of that process and what story are you telling is forcing that attention, which I think is really good. I sort of love all the, the talk of collaboration. I generally believe that one of the challenges that we've faced in the Web 2 age for collaboration, Scott, you know, you and I almost got Jam Lab off the ground. Is hearing you talk about these projects is we've got to get that TV series Going Again, where you, we yep. film you and document the collaborative process, because that was fascinating. But I've always thought that the, one of the barriers to collaboration is the litigious nature of like, digital rights laws. You can't, how dare you use my song? Because my lawyer's is going to sue you, because the only mechanism I had with which to actually draw value was to actually sue you, as opposed to say, no, please use it, but share with me the data or share with me something of value, right. and we build around that. I just want to give Ethan just one last chance here because I started out saying you're doing this in LA. You've got your conference coming up soon. Tell us a little bit about the conference and what it means for LA and the intersection with NFTs. Give us a quick wrap on
4: it. Incredible. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're super excited to have you be a part of it. Of course, I'll give folks a few links to follow just to kind of keep track of what's going on. Of course, nftla.live is a place to go get tickets and find out more. We also have our edge of NFT discord, edgeofnft.com/discord. And we got people in there talking about the latest, uh, you know, inside info on what's going on with the event, kind of people can ask direct questions. I'm usually in that Discord. The spiritseeds.xyz, that's where people can find out about that collab. There's really only a handful of those left, but that includes VIP access to the conference, as well as actually carbon offset uh, of 24 metric tons for each one of those that's mint. That's about a year of someone's carbon consumption, along with other uh, benefits. And our Living Tree NFT project coming up, that's also going to be part of the convention. Now, the people that are speaking at the convention are people you're probably going to (laughs) recognize. You know, of course, there's you, (laughs) there's Mark Cuban, there's Tom Bilyeu, there's Medha Parlikar of Casper Labs, who I mentioned earlier, Steve Aoki, Nicole Buffett, who I also mentioned earlier, Baron Davis, Um, actress Jennifer Esposito, who we just did a cool AMA on Twitter with um, earlier, Fallon Fatemi uh, a Fireside. Um, So lots of great personalities, lots of great companies, Animoca Brands, Waxman, PR, fan control football draft kings uh, Splinterlands, pretty much you know whoever you'd want to mm-hmm. see long list and as far as the entertainment goes like you alluded to we're going to have surprises on that end that are going to keep people in their seats basically right uh-huh. there's been been really cool nft conferences around the world but this mm-hmm. one's going to capitalize on la as an entertainment hub and i think people are going to have fun in addition to networking and co-creating new things.
0: Not to mention, we're we're also putting on the nights at the dome every night after the event. So we have the official Congrats. NFT things, yeah. and we're gonna blow it out. It's gonna That's be- That's a must have, the wisdom. And so we're gonna be doing, they are gonna do the Floyd show that night also. But if you're gonna be in LA, you gotta check that out. I mean, tr- trust
2: me, the, the Beyond the Wall and the wisdom is, is an experience that you'll never okay. forget. Listen, we could've gone on as always for ages Great. on this. Oh, Tremendous. I'm really looking forward to the conference. Thanks for them. CoinDesk, of course, is a media partner there. So we'll be there and covering it. I'm very much looking forward to this, but thank you both of you for joining us. Uh, It was a pleasure.
0: Thank you for having us. Thanks for the incredible,
4: incredible questions and
0: conversation.
2: Really appreciate it. Our guests make the show. And Sheila, as always, thank you so much. And to all of you loyal listeners, thank you very much for joining us and and come back again. And I I realized that I should be doing more pitching of Money Reimagined and these closes, Sheila. So on this time, I'm gonna be saying, make sure you subscribe to Money Reimagined. There's oh, little yes. tasks that I know most podcasters always forget to do. All right, all right. Subscribe and you know, you can use you know, Spotify, Apple, all of your favorite podcasting uh, sites, whatever it is you use, please do subscribe to Money Reimagined. But do come back next week for another edition of this crazy program we've been doing for a year and a half now, I think it is. Wow. All right. Thanks. That's all. Thank Bye. you very much.
4: Thanks so much, Bye. guys.
1: If you would like to attend NFTLA this March 28th through the 31st, go to nftla.live and receive 10% off when you use the promo code Money Reimagined 10 la You've been listening to Coindesk's Money Reimagined. This episode featured Sheila Warren, Michael J. Casey, and guests Ethan Janney and Scott Page. Our theme song is Shepherd. This episode was produced and edited by Michelle Mousseau, with additional production support from Eleanor Paul and announcements by Adam B. Levine. Have any questions or comments, please send us an email at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line Money Reimagined, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. And from all of us at Coindesk and the Money Reimagined team, thanks for listening.